we can fill in uh, the blanks. So, uh, what is the bottom of this pyramid? Remember what this is? Your belief system, okay? Or we can even call it your worldview, okay? We can call it, uh, yeah, so we can call it your beliefs. Then what is in the middle here? Values. Values, okay? So our beliefs determine our values, and then our values determine our what? Actions. Actions. All right. Now, as a Christian, the, the foundation for our beliefs should be what? Christ. The Bible, right? We're going to say, we'll add to that, uh, Jesus Christ. And so as we view Jesus Christ in the Bible, and it works up through developing our beliefs, determining our values, and then being seen in our actions, what do we call that? Sanctification. Sanctification, we call it discipleship? Discipleship, yeah. Just so we get a D word, right? Huh? All right. And I'm just going <laughs> to... Right, really messy so that you can't check my spell. All right, and then as we view the world around us, we don't see necessarily their beliefs, but we do see their actions. And as we view actions, we can do what uh, with their beliefs? Discernment. Discern. So we discern uh, that. So this is what our goal is in this class, is that God would work up through us a biblical lifestyle through knowing his word and seeing how his word translates into uh, a, a, a worldview or how we view, how we take in life, that should determine our values, which then dictate to us our actions. So, obviously, this morning, you valued something enough to get out of bed, right? Now, that doesn't necessarily determine, that doesn't just because you're at church doesn't mean you're here for the right reasons, Right? So we got to be careful. Discernment is not always, you know, crystal clear. Well, I see them do this. That must mean they believe this, right? So, but at the same time, uh, as we know ourselves and others, we see this working out. All right. So today we want to just give you a, a quick preview of what the rest of uh, what we'll be doing in the rest of the class. So uh, C.S. Lewis said this. He said, we are now getting to the point at which different beliefs about the universe lead to different behavior. Religion involves a series of statements about facts, which must be either true or false. If they are true, one set of conclusions will follow about the right sailing of the human fleet. If they are false, quite another set. And so we'd say this, that beliefs or behavior follows beliefs. Or if you looked at it here, we would say actions come after beliefs and values. So uh, behavior follows beliefs. One worldview our worldview will determine our values and in turn our actions. By the way, is this not the major thrust of the New Testament? Right? The New Testament is teaching us, I mean, really all of Scripture, but the New Testament is teaching us not just doctrine, but actually how that translates into living your life. So if you, if you know the, the, the pattern of how Paul writes uh, in, in a Pauline epistle, it starts out with theology, half the book is theology. The second half of the book is the practical application of that theology, right? So uh, if you go through uh, Colossians, you know, it, it, it brings out in chapters 1 through 3 all the, the deep theology there. Then it says, oh, this is how we should live, right? Romans, it goes up through Romans chapter 11 and verse, or chapter 12 starts this way, based on the mercies of God, right? Uh, how does it start? 
I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. The mercies of God are chapters 1 through 11. Based on the mercies of God, you are to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. And then it just goes through how you're supposed to treat your co-workers, how you're supposed to treat people in the church, how you're supposed to treat your wife, how you're supposed to think of yourself, and it just it lays it out in that way. So our discipleship is where the Bible starts determining our beliefs, values, and actions. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.5 was a verse we used last week. We said that we we're supposed to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ and bring into captivity uh, every thought to the obedience of Christ. Bring in every thought. Why? What precedes actions? Thoughts. Uh, I've used this illustration before, but one year we had uh, a boy that was brought to my office. Uh, he was in PE class, and the kid next to him all of a sudden fell in on his face, busted his teeth out, Picked teeth out of a, when I say we, not me. Picked teeth out of a pool of blood there. And so the kid standing next to him was sent to my office. And I said, what happened? I don't know. My, my hands just got excited. <laughs> right, okay, your hands just got excited. No, my hands have never done anything that my head didn't tell them to do, you know. Oh, look at my, you know, and the kid fell over. So it's this idea that, uh, look, when, when, we, when we take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ, it will absolutely translate into our hands, our feet, our words, right? Our choices. And so 1 Corinthians 10, 5, 10, 5 teaches us that. Ephesians 4, go to Ephesians chapter 4. I want to look at verses 21 through 22 of Ephesians 4. By the time you're in chapter 4 of Ephesians, Paul is in the application section of the book and go down to verse 20 Ephesians 4 of course if, if you go to verse 1 it's the transition I therefore prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy you have the doctrine now let's walk in a way that shows that those truths are evident right? and if you come down to verse 20, 20 it says this but ye have not so learned Christ. Okay, so the verses preceding are all about how the world walks. Okay, uh, verse 17. I, this I say therefore and testify the Lord that ye henceforth uh, walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Who being, in, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Now, this is going to become very important, right? So if you read verses 17 through 19, it is defining what kind of a person? An unbeliever, right? Now, we look at that and we say, wow, I mean, the Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. They have their understanding darkened. They are alienated from life, the life of God. They, they walk in ignorance and blindness, and in fact, they're, they're past feeling in the sense that they just pursue sin. And yet, if we're not careful, we run to them for our psychology. Oh, looks a little bit different than when you look at it that way, isn't it? You know, people can come up with really practical things to say, but if you boil it down, you better be careful who you're pulling from when you look at your kids and use employee psychology. 
right? Because if it's generated in a heart that is blind and and does not have understanding and is is wholeheartedly pursuing that which is against God, how can we have what God promises? How can we develop a home that is at peace and children who are learning righteousness and following after Jesus Christ if we're saying, well, I mean, I've yeah, that didn't work for me, but I mean, let's go buy this self-help book on parenting, you know. And uh, so we, this is where we got to be careful. Do we really believe God's word? Is it really going to be the ter- determining factor of our beliefs? Because it will work its way out to action. So then we come to verse twenty. You have not so learned Christ. If so be that you heard him, that you have been taught by him as the truth in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to these deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And put on the new man, which after God has created in righteousness and true holiness. Okay, so, so if behavior follows belief, I want to get to the point of righteousness and true holiness. But I tell you what, it comes from learning Jesus Christ. Okay, it comes from learning Jesus Christ. And listen, the truth of God's word is relevant because it's true. Right? Uh it, something isn't isn't true because it's relevant. It's relevant because it's true, and that's why the Bible is timeless. The, the Bible cuts through all twenty twenty three garbage, and it lays it right out. Okay, and it, the, the, of course, the Hebrews tells us the Word of God is like a sword, sharp and powerful. Uh, it's quick, living and powerful, sharper than any two edged sword, and it actually takes. All the political correctness takes all the cultural aspects. It takes all the centuries, and it just cuts right through to the core, and it lays it open, and it says, this is the truth. And listen, if there's anything that's relevant today, it's the truth. We want to get past all the ridiculous garbage. We must have that basis of the truth. The major conflict of worldviews is designated, or designed, excuse me, the The major thrust of conflicting worldviews with Christianity is designed to dethrone Jesus Christ and exalt the wisdom of the world. Now you say, well, this is just Christianity putting themselves as the whipping boy. No, it's the truth of Christ when he said in John, as we studied, if the world hates you, they don't hate you for being you, they hate you. Why? Because they hated me first, right? And so we're going to see in these worldviews and we'll present it this way, that this is not just a, a competing idea. This is an attack on truth, on the Word of God. We better understand that because if not, we will slip into religious pluralism that says, well, that's a good idea for you, but I just choose not to believe that. But wait a second. If it's false, it's false. And actually, we're called to rebuke false teaching. We're called to confront it. We're not called to say, I don't want to be offensive, but, you know, that's good for you. This is good for me, right? And, and we better be careful that we're convinced of what the truth is. The major conflict then is waged for the hearts and soul, really, of our young people. Yeah, we're going to find out as we look through, as we follow through these attacks, these attacks aren't coming at you so much. I mean, sure, they do come at you somewhat, but they mainly are going for school-aged children. I'm saying anywhere from three years old to 23. These are the formative years of developing your belief system and your worldview. And so the attack is geared mainly at these people. We identify it quicker just because we're older. We've been around the block a few times. 
but we better identify what they're going after, right? They don't care so much about us. We've lived our life, and, you know, it's been good. Whatever, you know, let's, we need disciples, we need those, we need children, okay? And if we're not careful, we'll just walk our own next generation into false teaching through naivety. Uh, one philosopher, not a good guy, his name is Richard Rorty, and he said this, the Christian parents of our Christian students, he's a teacher, uh, think that the entire American liberal establishment is engaged in a conspiracy. Those parents have a point. When we American college teachers encounter religious fundamentalists, we do not consider the possibility of reformulating our own practices of justification so as to give more weight to the authority of the Christian scriptures. When a Christian student walks into his classroom, he's not looking to confirm what that person has been taught, right? He says this, instead we do our best to convince these students of the benefits of humanistic secularization. Rather, I think these students are lucky to find themselves under the benevolent teaching of people like me and to have escaped the grip of the uh, Fearful, vicious, and they're fearful, vicious, and dangerous parents. This is the teacher waiting for. He's a, he's not teaching at a Christian university. He's waiting for Christians to walk in his class, his philosophy class, so that he can just rob what the parents have given their life to teach. Right, and a student who doesn't understand what they believe is going to become. Well, he, this guy, you think he's a good teacher or a bad teacher? Boring or interesting? Interesting. Oh, he's probably captivating. And if you're not careful, if a student doesn't know what they believe, they're like <clears throat> a, a ship that's tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. They're up, they're down, and it's actually, now they start following people. Right? By the way, does this ever happen in church? Yeah. You know what the true test of a good church is? If the pastor leaves, does the church stay? Because a lot of people grasp onto a personality and a style of teaching to the exclusion of what's being taught even. Right? And by the way, you been around long enough, you know pastors fall into sin. Does that disqualify everything they taught? Do you know what a lot of people do? I'm done with this. right? Because they follow a personality. They lift a person up into a, diff a position that they shouldn't put them on. They, if that guy says it, it's good. I'll never forget in, in college, our, one of my uh, psychology, he was, he was a psychology teacher, but he was teaching in the, in the Bible class, and he got up and started teaching false, false things. Very, very cleverly set, stated, and kids in the class were admitting, admitting. After about three minutes, he stopped and he said, if you agree with me, you don't know your Bible. I'm so glad I kept my mouth shut. <laughs> I looked over, huh? I still don't know what he's saying, but you know, at least I didn't say anything. So, you know, if we're not careful, we find ourselves getting pulled into this, and poor students, young students, are easily pulled in by personality. And so there's major attacks on objective. When we say objective truth, it means something that does not reside within me, something that is true whether I exist or not, right? So is there such thing as objective truth, right? Objective reality, does it exist apart from my mind and my, my being, right? So uh, the, the temperature today didn't call me and ask me what it should be this morning, right? We're like, oh, yeah, summer, I guess it's coming, right? Uh, we've enjoyed the cool weather, but is the temperature an objective thing? Well, yes. I mean, now it depends if it's Fahrenheit or Celsius and all that. But the temperature is the temperature whether we come to church or whether we exist or not. Okay? It's something outside of ourselves uh, that we experience. We live in a day and age that wants to separate the secular from the sacred 
in a way that reduces Christianity to a matter of personal preference as opposed to objective fact. Okay, and so uh, this can be seen in a number of divisions. So what, what happened is secular anti-Christian teaching would like to take you and say, okay, well, there's certain aspects of you that are this, and there's certain aspects of you that are that. So look at the divisions here on your paper. Uh, the heart and the brain, right? So, I mean, the heart, if we're talking about the blood-pumping organism, is not a thinking aspect of our body, right? But they talk about the heart speaking of what? More of your emotions, right? How you feel. And so they're saying the heart is for religion, but the brain is for science. Right? Do you agree with that? Now, now, so if we could, by the way, if we can separate that, uh, I, I was, uh, we had the students uh, watch a movie called The Life of Pi. It's about this uh, Hindu boy in India that ends up in Canada and his family, there's a shipwreck and all that. And it's interesting, the mom, the mom is very much tied to religion, and the dad has rejected religion for science, Right? And they're, they, they argue throughout the movie, they, they're pitted against each other in this. And at the dinner table one day, they're sitting there at the dinner table, and he's going more toward religion than his dad wants. And he says, listen to me, listen to me. If you, if, you, if you buy into all that, it's just farce, right? And the mom says, no, 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 listen. The heart, religion shows us, teaches us what's in here, and science teaches us what's out there. Right? And we go, oh, no, that's terrible. That is so false, right? That is not true. The the heart cannot be divided from the mind. The brain logic reasoning is not relegated to scientific objective fact where the heart, you know, well, you know, hey, do you like chocolate ice cream or, or vanilla ice cream? Right? Are you Christian? Are you Hindu? What do you prefer? Right? And this is the idea here, that we can separate man into these two different things. Personal preferences versus scientific knowledge. Right? And so, uh, if we were to use the abortion debate, <clears throat> right? Well, I mean, or, or gender right now, of course. Right? Gender is this thing about personal preference. What do you choose to be? Right? So somebody texted me not too long ago and said that a Myrtle Beach school was putting litter boxes uh, in the bathroom for students who identify as furries. Whatever that is, right? And, uh, and I, you know, like, wow, that seems more of a, you know, California thing, not so much a South Carolina thing. But And, and here's the idea. Your, your gender is actually a preference issue. What do you identify? What do you want to be? What do you feel like? What do you identify? But then, you know, if we said, well, what about gravity? Well, I mean, that, that's a law. Okay? And so if we, can, if we can pull these things apart, then guess where religion ends up? In the Bible. Well, it's, it's, it's preference. Uh, that's your preference. I don't, I don't like that preference, right? Uh, personal life versus public life. So, um, why would you bring your Bible and put it on your desk? Keep that at home. Your religion is good for you and your family, but don't you dare come to the office and force it down our throats by putting your Bible on your desk. This is personal and this is public. That's personal, and this is professional, right? And so a guy who witnesses at his work is no longer considered professional. Well, that's not professional practice. And we as Christians go, oh, you're right. I, I don't want to be non-professional. There's a problem with that, right? Because one day when you stand before God, you will not answer to your boss for what was real. 
will answer to God for what he says is the truth. And where, we're, where are we supposed to present that truth? Well, I don't want to get fired. Hey, why don't we leave that up to God and just do what he says? Because this is the truth. These people are walking in ignorance and blindness. And are you really okay with all your coworkers going to hell? You're not? Well, say something. It's not professional. Well, this is that division that we're tra- they're trying to create so that they can take biblical virtues, biblical values, and all those things and say, well, that's nice for you, you know? Some, you know, you like to crochet, and you like to go to church. It's nice, you know, but not, some people don't like to do that. We're like, well, well wait, wait a second. This, this is not something that's just preferential. Right? Uh, values versus fact, right? So if I were to say this, abortion is murder, is that a value claim or a fact claim? It's a fact claim, but they don't want you to think it that way. They want to think, that your values tied to your religion and don't force it on us. We don't, that's not a value, right? The fact is that a woman should have the right to her own body, right? And we, we go, oh, you know what? G, did Jesus make value claims or fact claims? Oh, man, his, all his claims are fact claims. He's saying this is what it is. And he's making a fact claim. And so, we want to be careful that we don't allow the world around us to try to make us, try to bifurcate truth as something that, okay, this is true for everybody, but this is only true for you, okay? So there are objective truths that govern the world, and then there's religious truth, which is like, I don't know, do you like broccoli or cauliflower, right? Neither. All right. All right. <laughs> As Christians, we must be able to identify when the world tries to make these splits. Through making these splits, the world seeks to relegate Christianity and to relegate Christianity and biblical truth. And I, is that how I have it in your notes? Because yeah. it's not a sentence. I didn't finish the sentence. I apologize, right? So they try to relegate Christianity and biblical truth to preference. The world doesn't need to deny religion. It just needs to put it in the realm of personal preference, thus making every religious viewpoint equal and private, okay? equal and private. So interesting, Christa, Christopher Reeve, this is in the textbook that the kids use in, the, in, a, in an article we read, but Christopher Reeve, you remember who he was? Superman. Superman, fell off a horse, broke his back, very human thing that happens, right? Okay, and so now he is a quadriplegic, he was, passed now, right? Well, he became the tip of the spear for embryonic stem cell research. He wanted to regrow his spinal cord and fix the problems. And so he was raising money for that. And, and, and he, he goes to a college, Yale University, and he says these words. When matters of public policy are debated, no religion should have a seat at the table. And we go, well, yeah, that makes sense, right? What is the public policy he's talking about? Bioethics, right? Bioethics. Okay, or is bioethics something that religion should have any say about? Well, let's just not call it religion. Let's say there's truth that should dictate that, and typically ethics follow invention, right? Not the other way around. So scientists are pushing for, you know, they, they're, they're figuring out, oh, man, if we could do this, uh, that'd be awesome. Well, how does that happen? Well, we're going to have to take a man... We're going to have to take an embryo, fertilize, a man fertilized by his daughter's embryo so that we can get just the right strain and play with it. And then we're going to have to grow it and multiply it and then use it. 
you think there's any ethics involved in that? Right? And so, and so Christopher Reeve is saying, don't bring the Bible to the table. Don't bring your traditions. Don't bring that old stuff. We just need science to run the day. Right? Science did run the day, and we came up with something called the atomic bomb. And we killed millions. Right? And if science is left unchecked, where are the ethics? Right? And there's actually truth that should govern all science. Well, he would say, religion cannot express scientific objective truth, just personal values and preferences. But as Christians, the sanctity of life, regardless of the state of development, is given by God and cannot be violated by the pragmatism of biological research. And so we say, look, uh, no, there's a truth that actually governs science. Okay, and it's the fact that God created in his own image, and to take that life is considered murder. And murder actually necessitates death. And look at this on Wednesday as we talk about capital punishment. Okay? And how when God says, Thou shalt not kill, he does say, you know what he says to the state? Thou shalt kill. And if, if the state rejects the command to kill, well, we'll talk about that next time. All right. Number two there, then, worldview and comparison. So I just want to give you a brief overview of what we'll be doing for the next 10 weeks. So not all worldviews are contained in the six that we'll be studying. Neither do any. Neither does anyone fit perfectly into the description that we're going to give of the six. Right? They're not. They're not going to find a textbook. This guy, right? But we're trying to give an overview of the predominant worldviews uh, with their basic components. And so, first of all, we talk about. We'll talk about Islam. There are striking similarities between Islam and Christianity. Right? And by the way, that's why. Uh, the World Trade Towers, when they fell, they started talking about fundamentalists. Not necessarily Islamic fundamentalists, but fundamentalists. Why? Well, you know what you can do with the word fundamentalist? You can tie it to Christians as well as Muslims. Right? And we just need to get rid of these extremists. And they didn't want to, you know, they didn't want to tie it to Muslim teaching. They just wanted to tie it to actions. Problem is, is beliefs dictate your actions. And none of those Muslims on the planes were. Uh, pluralist, you know, all roads lead to heaven. No, they were convinced there was a right way, and this is how it must be done, and that came from their teaching, their worldview, okay? And so Islam, there's striking similarities, uh, and you can even have a surprisingly surface discussion uh, with an, a Muslim. In fact, uh, Mr. Campbell was telling us about this the other day, that uh, Kelsey brought a friend to church, and she was brought up in that, and she's stepping back from it, and looking at things, and when Bert was preaching and he spoke about Abraham, she perked right up and made a connection. Why? Because they believe in Abraham, and David, and Jesus. And you can talk about these people on a, these people on a certain level. Uh, however, the difference is, is that what is Muslims seeking to do? They're actually seeking to rid the world of Jews and Christians. Okay, so there's these two things may have similarities, but they're headed in very different directions, right? And so we need to be careful about those things. By the way, this is why secularists like to lump Christianity and Islam together when presenting them as radical, even though Jesus was not anything like Muhammad. Did Jesus kill anybody? And force anybody into to make people submit, you know, or die? No. In fact, today we're going to be in John 18 where he says, My kingdom is not of this world. Otherwise, my people would fight for me. And you see the opposite with. Uh, 
It's interesting, though, in America, Muslims side with who politically? Right now. Leftists, right? We'll use the word leftists. Right? Well, that doesn't make sense. If you look at their, the Quran, they, I mean, no coffee, no alcohol. I mean, they have some very strict rules, and yet their <coughs> true beliefs are flushed out when they side with the leftists because the leftists would say that the U.S. is absolutely evil and we're unworthy of preservation. Western culture needs to go, and so we'll side with the leftists because they're trying to get rid of these, these bases. And so that's an interesting thing that we'll try to bring out. Uh, the next one, secular humanism. This is the dominant worldview in our colleges and university. They recognize the classroom as a powerful context for indoctrination. The state wants this monopoly for itself. It is intolerable. It, it, it is intolerably divisive to have God and the state scrapping for disciples, and so religion must go. Christianity is outlawed in the public schools. Right? And so secular humanism says there is no God, and man is the highest of all things. Humanity is the highest of all things, and so we need to be the best humans possible. Uh, humanist of the year, Ted Turner. Anybody know who Ted Turner is? Uh, he's the media mogul at owned or still owned, I don't know if it's still owned, CNN, uh, TNT, TPS, other things, the Atlanta Braves at one point, uh, and he said this, Christianity is a religion for losers, Christ shouldn't have bothered dying on the cross, I don't want anybody to die for me, I've had a few drinks and a few girlfriends, and if that's going to put me in hell, then so be it, right, and you think he's preaching a worldview, you think CNN preaches a worldview, oh yeah, absolutely, Absolutely. Other famous secular humanist, B.F. Skinner, Abraham Maslow, who gives us the uh, um, hierarchy of needs, which every teacher has to learn. You know, first you got to make sure they're safe and they're fed, and they are sexual beings before we can get to expecting them to be good citizens. So we got to, right? Abraham Maslow, major part of science. Carl Rogers, Carl Sagan. Faye Waddleton, anybody know who she was? Planned Parenthood, right? This is the actions are being, we see the actions of their worldview fleshed out. The fact that they're trying to uh, rid the world through genocide, euthanasia, things like that, of, you know, less desirable citizens. These aren't, we, last, year we, last week we said ideas have consequences. And though it may sound good on paper, when it actually hits the ground and runs, people die. Many people. Uh, uh, Ted Turner, he's, a, he's an interesting guy to study. He would like to replace the Ten Commandments with ten voluntary initiatives. <laughs> I, I like that. Ten voluntary initiatives. Of course, he doesn't think they should be voluntary. But including this pledge, I promise to, ha to have love and respect for the planet Earth and living uh, thereon, especially for my fellow species, humankind. I promise to treat all persons everywhere with dignity, respect, and friendliness. I promise to have more, no more than two children, and no more than my nation suggests, or no more than my nation suggests. I reject the use of force, in particular military force, and back the United Nations arbitration of international disputes. So uh, that's his pledge, right? He probably shouldn't have this. All right, uh, number three, Marxism. Marxism. Uh, the reason to study this is because it's been one of Christianity's most vocal detractors. If you see how Stalin and Lenin 
and Engels and Marx persecuted the Christian church. They would say all religion, but it was very specifically pointed at the Christian church uh, because Christianity became such a stumbling block for communism. Christianity teaches you to be content with what you have. Communism lives on dissatisfaction of the lower class. And so uh, they have done great atrocities to the church and Christianity. I remember as a kid in the 80s praying for a guy named George George Evans in Russia who had been sent off to Siberia because he was preaching the gospel. We pray every week. We pray that he be released and brought back to his congregation. Communism is taught on our campuses. Uh, the Communist Manifesto. It's interesting if you were to read the Communist Manifesto, it's like somebody sat there with a Bible and said, not before everything that the Bible said to do. I mean, it's just totally against Scripture. The Communist Manifesto was actually published out of Harvard University Press. You know what Harvard was started as, right? College to train preachers, right? So uh, <clears throat> its its authors were an Italian prisoner and a Marxist teacher at Duke University. Uh, the dangers of communism, Marxism, uh, are not predominantly political. Uh, you can find their the primary dangers in their hatred for religion, specifically Christianity and their philosophy of materialism, where we get a lot of our psychology uh, that man is just matter in motion. Number four, new spirituality, or what we call the new age movement. This, the truth resides within the individual, and there's no one who can claim the corner of truth and dictate it to another, right? You're God, you're part of God, and if you really want to know the truth, where should you look? Inside, oh, we have this wonderful thing called what? Meditation. What is Meditation. Empty your mind and look into yourself for the answers, right? Uh, this is what. And by the way, is there is there some truth in the in the quieting of the mind and taking time aside from the busyness of our schedule to meditate? Yes. Only if it has something good to meditate on, right? It needs to have the Word of God as that as that point of meditation. The power to discern all truth becomes the capstone of its theology. Uh, whatever you decide is right for you is what's right, as long as you don't get narrow-minded and exclusive about it. You can think it's right, but don't you dare think that you know what is right for everybody. Number five, uh, postmodernism. Postmodernism is uh, something that you see that has kind of its heyday in certain areas, and in other areas it's rejected. Uh, so it's the skepticism toward truth. If you were to follow the, 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 the time frame before the 1900s, who had the most authority in a culture was the pastors, the priests, the religious leaders. And so truth came from God and was dispersed to man from these positions, right? And that, that changed, though, as we have, we come out of the dark ages, we have, um, we have the, what's the, what's the period of time I'm looking for? Industrial revolution. And the enlightenment comes, and all of a sudden we're saying, no, it's not God who gives us the truth, it's science. We run to science, and of course science has got to get some things out of its system, and so we have World War One, And World War One was called the what? The war to do what? The war to, and once we get this out of our system, we're going to be great. Humanity's going to be fine. We're done with it. We're ready to move on. And then what happens? World War Two comes. And in World War Two, science gives us mass destruction. And so people start pulling back from science and saying, what? 
actually, I don't even, it's not science that shows it's truth. I don't even know if there is such a thing called truth. And now we're in a time frame that if you say you have truth, you're the error. <clears throat> I don't even want to hear what you have to say. If you think you know the truth, you arrogant jerk. And a Christian goes, oh, I don't want to be arrogant. And, and how can I, how can I state this as fact? I mean, I, it's not true for them. Right? And we, we capitulate because we don't want to be arrogant. I know the truth. You know, why would Jesus die for Mark Rowan? Who does he think he is? Who does Mark Rowan think he is? Somehow he's achieved deity through, you know, who do you think you are to say that you're going to heaven and I'm going to hell? You jerk. You have no right to tell me that. And we go, I don't want to be, I don't want to be mean. I don't want to be arrogant. And so we capitulate on the truth. So that we can make people feel good. And there's a major problem with that, right? So this is postmodernism. A commitment to relativism. Relativism is, you know, hey, truth is relative to whatever context you want to put in place, right? So at Calvary Christian School, we have our own context and we decide our own truth, right? This is what's called, when we use the word, a social construct. Right? A social construct means your group got together and decided that this was truth, and that's nice. As long as everybody in your group is there voluntarily, that's okay if your group says that. Just don't tell us what the truth is. Because the truth is only relegated to sections of social interaction. Right? By the way, this is why we are getting rid of gender, because you were brought up by some narrow-minded people that said gender is attached to DNA and biology. Well, that was nice for them back then when they had that construct, but our constructs have changed. And so gender is just a word. Postmodernism thrives on deconstruction, right? So, uh, you know, Jesus Christ is the way. Well, what do you mean when you say way? And what do you mean when you say Jesus Christ? And what do you mean when you say is? Right? And what we do is we, we redefine. I had a brother who argued like this with everyone. The sky is blue. Well, I mean, technically, it's just a reflection of the water. And you're like, well, then the water is blue. Well, it's just, that's a reflection of the sky. You know, my parents, my dad would be like, I'm done talking to you, go in the laundry room. Right? Uh, it's this ability to just, you know, Bill Clinton was a master of this, right? I did not have sexual relations with that woman, right? And what it is, he totally redefined sexual relations, Right? It's, it's in this narrow context, and I didn't do that, right? And that's deconstruction, where we just take it and we break it apart and we say, well, I'll define what it is, right? So the, 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 you can look this up on here, the gender unicorn is, well, biologically identify as this, but mentally identify as this, and relationally identify as this. And I may be attracted mentally to this kind of person, but physically I'm attracted to this kind of person. Right? What we've done is we've said, hey, let's play balloon animal with what God has said is the truth. Right? And so it's this idea that we can uh, deconstruct things. By the way, it's making its way into the church. Christianity. Christianity, of course, is probably one we'll, pro we'll try to give more time to in a sense because we need to know what we believe. Christian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, by the way, I don't ascribe to everything that Dietrich Bonhoeffer says or did, but he was a pastor in World War II in Germany that said, I cannot, I cannot watch this happen. And so he tried to kill uh, Hitler. He tried to um, assassinate Hitler, and I think he was strangled with piano cords uh, because he failed. Anyway, uh, just a bit of history. 
He says this, there are not two realities. There is one reality, and that is the reality of God, which has become manifest in Christ in the reality of the world. What's he saying? Don't break things apart. There's one reality, and we better figure out that it's Jesus Christ, because one day we'll all answer to him for what is truth and what is real. Uh, the Bible and the life of Christ then provide the Christian with the basis of a total world view. We take the Bible at face value. We interpret it literally. The Christian worldview stands or falls on the accuracy of the Bible. You cannot have a Christian worldview if you don't have the Bible. Without the Bible, we're just we're just one of another, whatever. So we put all of our stock in the Scripture. Uh, so we're going to go through these disciplines. We won't take time to look up all these verses, but I'd encourage you to. Uh, the Christian. The Christian views these ten categories as sacred and not secular. Actually, we don't view anything as secular in the sense that everything will stand before God and be judged by Jesus Christ. So I don't mean to bifurcate it that way, but we say, no, these things which the world would like to say is secular, no, everything is sacred before God. They are sacred because they are imprinted in the creative order. Theology, philosophy, ethics, biology, psychology, sociology, law, politics, economics, and history. So, 10 weeks, a very surface review of each one of those categories. So, we're not going to be able to get very deep because we're going to be trying to present six theologies every six theologies next Sunday morning, six philosophies, and we'll kind of go through and define our terms as we do that. So, if you look at these verses, it really shows that Jesus is the basis for all of these things. You can find the answers to these questions in the person of Jesus Christ. Okay? And so, if you look up those verses, hopefully you'll be able to make connection uh, to those things. The person of Jesus Christ displays for us the foundational aspect of each of these disciplines. He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and only through Jesus can we have true knowledge of God, humanity, and the world around us. Jesus will become the defining factor, then, in the Christian worldview. Jesus was not a relativist nor a religious pluralist. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And what did he say next? No man comes to the Father but by me. He just took every other religion and said, you missed the mark if you don't come through me. Jews don't go to heaven without Jesus Christ. <gasps> That's God's chosen people. They believe in Yahweh and Jehovah. No, they don't. They have rejected God in Jesus Christ, and therefore, they will not. Jesus said, I am the only way to the Father. By the way, that's why he said, you're not of my father, you're of your father, the devil. He's talking to the Jewish people here. No one gets a pass into heaven because of their heritage. You must come through faith in Jesus Christ. Though you will find elements of truth in every worldview. No worldview is just total. There's elements of truth in every one of these. However, when that worldview departs from Jesus and the scripture, they are false. And of course, lastly, I have there a picture that is an elephant. And it is the parable of the blind man and the elephant. How many of you have never heard about this parable? The blind man and the elephant is this. There are six, however many blind men touching the elephant and describing what they touch. They're all blind and they don't know what they're touching, but they describe it. So the guy in the tail is saying, well, this is wispy. It, it's like hairy and coarse. And the guy on the tusk is saying, you are wrong. This feels like the tip of a spear. Now, who's right? And the other guy's touching the leg and says, this is like the trunk of a tree. And the other guy says, what are you talking about? I've never had a tree that had, like, 
like rough skin. And here it is. All religions have a little touch of the truth. But none of them can really claim that they have all the truth. They can only claim that they've experienced their part. And therefore, we should be tolerant of all religions. Well, let's not use the word tolerant, because we are tolerant. We've never gone down the street to the Unitarian Church and burned it down or kicked in their door during a service, right? We are tolerant. We don't accept. You should accept our religions because you can't know all the truth. You only know in a little part. You're a blind man. There is a basic assumption in this worldview, in this uh, parable. What is the assumption? Nobody knows the truth. Okay, that's the teaching of it, but there's an assumption even further and deeper than that. How do we know it's an elephant? Somebody's not blind, right? And guess what religion claims that they're not blind? All of them. <laughs> All of them say, no, we know that's an elephant. Right? And so the parable acts like, well, all these religions are blind and seeking the truth and hate. But somebody's standing back from that saying, I know it's an elephant, and I know they're all touching the same elephant, and I know they just don't. And every religion puts themselves in that position. Do you think Buddha was a, was a, was a uh, relativist? Was Muhammad a relativist? Was he okay with every other religion? Did they say all paths lead to heaven? Even Jesus' exclusive path? There's something called the law of non-contradiction. Something cannot be true and false in the same context at the same time. Right? And yet we want to play that way by saying, well, everybody, everybody's okay. We all, you know. Christianity makes exclusive claims. There's no, no. They're all blind men, and they're not even touching the elephant. They're just going to hell. Right? I mean, th these are the exclusive claims of every religion. So, all right. We'll pick up next week with a surface study of theology. Of course, what does theology mean? The study of God. So, does, is atheism a theology? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Let's pray.